You're listening to the one and only Writing Wall Podcast, and I'm your host, Stacey Hawks. This podcast is for indie writers and also traditional writers with ties to North Carolina. We also feature local authors from my backyard here in Allegheny County, North Carolina. Tune in every second and fourth Saturday of the month at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time as we talk with our Writers of the Week, dive into some book reviews, and give shout-outs to authors, poets, and storytellers from across the writing communities of Twitter and Instagram. You can even catch bonus Writing Corner Wednesday episodes throughout the month that feature author readings. To keep up with all the latest, follow us on Twitter at The Writing Wall or on Instagram at writingsonthewall85. Because we all have a story, we want to hear yours. Now here is an exclusive excerpt of Keith Wright's latest book, Murder Me Tomorrow. A little context about this chapter. This is chapter three. Paul Masters awoke to find his wife and daughter dead with their throat slit. How could this have happened? The house was fully secure. Masters has a nervous breakdown in the cell and during interview by the sleazy Detective Inspector Mole, he hears himself admitting that it could not be anyone else who has committed the killings. He is charged, but he did not do it. Our hero, D.I. Stark, has returned returned to the office and has been asked to review the murder because of the protest of his team who believe D.I. Mole has acted inappropriately. Stark does not trust his nemesis, D.I. Lee Mole, and suspects that he has taken the easy route by charging Paul Masters, the husband using a manufactured confession. Stark wants the truth. Chapter 3 Heroes are not known by the loftiness of their carriage. The greatest baggards are generally the merest cowards. Jean-Jacques Rousseau Nobby threw the tennis ball to Ashley, who quickly offloaded it to Steve Aston, who dropped it. And as he tried to catch it at a second attempt, it ended up under the desk amidst groans of Butterfingers. He had to crawl underneath among the telephone wires to retrieve it. He didn't see the man enter the office. I see nothing has changed. It's still a bloody kindergarten. It is nice to be appreciated. There were cheers as Stark's athletic frame appeared in the doorway of the CID office. He was smiling as the detectives clapped and whooped his return. It turned into being over the top and a semi-piss take. He had regained his twinkle, his Italian-looking olive skin and thick dark hair accentuated his white toothy grin. He wore a gray suit, expensive shoes, and was holding a leather notebook as he gave a bow. Give us a twirl, Charlie Carter said. Stark duly obliged. I understand you've been having fun, Stark said. The tennis ball? It's just a stress reliever, that's all, Nobby said as he caught the ball from Steve's throw. He placed it back into his bottom desk drawer, somewhat sheepishly. No, you plunker. I mean you've been having fun with a certain Lee Mole, Stark said. Boss, it's no joke. It's been an absolute nightmare. Ashley was serious. Come and have a seat, sir, and we can tell you all about it, Nobby patted the chair in between him and Steph Dawson. Sure, let me get a cup of first. Steve, get the boss a coffee, Nobby barked, and Steve readily got up to do just that. But Cynthia stopped him. It's fine. Let me do it. Thanks, Cynthia. Stark smiled and walked past her towards the desk. Cynthia moved with a feline grace and an extra wiggle for her detective inspector. She was so pleased he was back. It was becoming more and more apparent that she had a bit of a crush on him, even if he was nearly 20 years her senior. Stark stretched just before he plunked his backside onto the chair next to Steph. He shook his head disparagingly as he noticed Steph's three stationary trays labeled in, out, and shake it all about. How's your arse? Nobby asked. Arse? Your food poisoning. Is it sorted? Oh, that. Yes. 
Thanks. I feel much better than I did on day one. Let me just say that. Ashley sat next to Steve. Pleased to have you back, boss. Trust me, we will never slag you off again. Not that we ever have, of course. <clears throat> I believe you. How's your dad's stuff? He's fine, thanks. I've not had a chance to see him the last couple of days, but our Margaret has been to the hospital and he was laughing and joking, so all is well. He'll stay at mine when we get him home. It's the second time he's fallen, isn't it? Stark asked. He was guessing. Three times now. We need to think about what the heck we're going to do with him. Now that he's broken his hip, he can't afford to have another fall. I'd start with keeping him off the bloody sherry. Nobby contributed with a wink. He doesn't even drink and you bloody well know it. It's you that needs to keep off the booze, if anybody. Steph was quick to defend her father. Her nerves had been a bit on edge with all the worry about him. All right, I was only joking. Bloody hell. How come you know about the aggro we've been having with Mole? Charlie Carter asked. Wagstaff rang me first thing and said he sensed a bit of concern amongst the troops. He asked if I could tactfully have a look at the evidence under the auspice that the murders are on my patch. We mentioned it to him last night at the bar. It's good of him to talk to you about it, Steph said. You can do what you want, boss. You don't need Mole's permission, Steve commented. He was still under the misbelief that his DI was all-powerful when, in reality, he was just as much in the food chain as anyone else. I wish, Steve. And anyway, it's D.I. Mole to you. Sorry, sir. We still have to be respectful to D.I. Mole, or if not him, the rank at least. He was good enough to cover for me, even though we know he is a hideous creature spawned from the bowels of hell. They laughed. Mole never showed you any respect, Governor, Jim McIntyre said in his Scottish drawl, tabbing a cigarette on the table prior to lighting it. It's every time, though, sir. It's bang out of order, Ashley said, leaning back his expensive made-to-measure suit jacket flapping at the side of the chair. Oh, well, we're better than that. Let's just worry about what we do. I know it's not nice when you are being steamrollered. Leave all the politics to me, though. The team muttered a reluctant agreement. Stark didn't want their judgment about the murders being clouded by the desire to prove themselves right to Mole. Charlie piped up. Just let Mole keep digging a big hole for himself, you mean? Charlie laughed uproariously and slapped the desk. There were groans and a few giggles. Cynthia brought Stark his coffee. Her long nails wrapped around the mug. Thanks, Cynthia. Made with love, sir. I'm sure it was. Thank you. He smiled at her and she returned it with an extra helping of jam. Stark took a slurp and opened his writing pad before clicking his pen into action. Come on then, I'm all ears. We want to say thank you to Keith Wright for being our Writer of the Week last week and for providing us with this exclusive excerpt for his book, Murder Me Tomorrow. Give him a look on Instagram and Twitter and be sure to also visit his books on Amazon.com. You can still catch his Writing Wall blog, Writer of the Week article on our website too see the links at the top of the description of this podcast. Don't miss out on our new Writer of the Week, Matthew Marr, on March 29th at 8 a.m. on the blog. And then we also have a Writing Corner Wednesday special guest, Mark Everglade, will be joining us for that podcast segment at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Stay tuned, because when I come back, we're going to do the one thing everyone's been waiting for. That's right, I'm talking shameless self-promo Saturday shoutouts. So stick around.
Ever wish you could have some one-on-one time with a well-known author, ask questions about the craft or the business of writing, or maybe just wonder what it feels like to have people read your books? Well, now you can. Join me, Stacey Hawks, and Allegheny Writers for Hooked on Books, an online session where experienced authors share their wisdom and answer questions submitted by Allegheny Writers members. Our next Hooked on Books segment will take place April the 8th at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time via Zoom with author Zoe M. McCarthy. Zoe is the author of Taylor Your Fiction Manuscript in 30 Days, The Irresistible Woman in a Blue Dress, and Calculated Risk. To join us on April the 8th, visit Allegheny Writers' website, www.alleghenywriters.com forward slash membership. You can also follow Allegheny Writers on Twitter at Allegheny Writes and on Instagram at Allegheny Writers or Facebook for all the latest updates. Because everyone has a story, come hear these wonderful authors share theirs with us. And we promise we're going to have you hooked on these books. Tragedy, heartache, how much more can Tyler Montgomery and John Webster take? A mission trip that is supposed to be healing is only adding fresh layers of pain. Welcome to the Writing Wall podcast this Saturday. I'm your host, Stacey Hawks, and I'm here with this week's Writer of the Week and author of this amazing book titled Vanished, Mark Bierman. Mark, welcome to the Writing Wall podcast. Well, happy to be here. Thank you for the invitation. That's real. Share with listeners a little about yourself and the genre you write. Well, my genre is action-adventure. My background is far flung from my uh, career that I ended up going. I grew up on a small farm near a small town in Ontario, Canada, and somehow I ended up working as a private investigator for a while up in the um, Toronto, which is a, for us, it's a big city of, you know, a couple million people. I ended up working up there as a private investigator for a while, but had a, so then I ended up going into corrections for over 20 years now as a correctional officer, and uh, it's uh, it's been quite a ride, I'll say, <laughs> with corrections. There's so many stories and characters and your career in corrections played a role in your writing this book, Vanished. Tell us about your history of writing. Did you ever write when you were younger? I've always been, I guess, I've had a talent for writing since I was small. I remember my teacher reading my stories in front of class. But this spurred me on I, because I found corrections to be a toxic environment. I mean, it's a prison, right? I worked in maximum security prisons, and I needed something positive to fall back on, and I just started getting into writing again. I wrote Vanish. Yes, and it's on my TBR, so please share with listeners a little bit about Vanish and what inspired you to write this story. At first, I wrote Vanish because my father used to go down to Haiti when I was younger. He's a contractor by trade after he sold the car. He would help build the orphanages and things like that. And I remember him coming back with pictures of just mountaintops, like just eroded from deforestation and raw sewage running in front of huts where people live like 10 in a, in a hut. About 15 years later, I went on my own trip. I couldn't go to Haiti, it was too dangerous, but I ended up going to the Republic and some of the areas there were pretty squalid as well. Originally, when I wrote Vanish, I thought I was writing because like, my father-in-law and brother-in-law had gone down there for a missions trip post-earthquake Haiti. They went to the north part of Haiti, which wasn't affected, but they did fly over Port de Pay and Port de France and all that, saw the destruction, so I asked them to keep a journal, and they faithfully did. I mean, some of the experiences in the book are, are some that had, obviously they never ran into any human traffickers, but I based my characters on the pair of them. As time progressed, 
I was diagnosed last June with PTSD from my job. And I started to realize as time goes on that I wrote the book as my mind almost trying to heal itself. So first of all, let me just say that I think your characters have some really cool names. And I just want to know how you come up with names for your characters. My father's name is actually John. And he actually had a neighbor by the name of John Webster back on the farm. So I think that's where I pulled that out of. Tyler Montgomery, well, Tyler was a made-up name. But Montgomery, I used to have a neighbor called them. Their last name was Montgomery. And they taught us how to ride horses. And I think that's how that popped in my head. Now, the names... The names of the characters, the Haitian characters themselves, were drawn out of out of actual real names from Haitian, baby names for Haitians and from Dominicans. In particular, the one Diego, antagonist. I mean, I've got a confession to make. When I hear Diego for a name, I'm thinking Diego de la Vega, a.k.a. Zorro from, yeah. Anyway, all right, enough of that little fun fact. You've traveled to that region before, but how much time did you spend on researching while writing Vanished? And was there a piece of information that surprised or intrigued you the most? Well, I'll tell you, oh, it was probably about a year of research. What surprised me is actually how much wealth there is. Actually, there's, there's actually a wealthy community in Haiti that's sort of gated, and they live quite well compared to the rest of Haiti. And that just shocked me because I always think of all of Haiti is just devastated. But there is actually a wealthy section. It's not all just foreigners either. That shocked me. Also, what shocked me too was the uh, post-earthquake Haiti, like the sheer number of orphans there were after the earthquake. And I mentioned in the book how I think law enforcement there was just overwhelmed because they had all these orphans wandering around. And human trafficking was a real problem there before, but after that, it got worse. It exploded millions of orphans and they're all being snatched off and put to work. What's your favorite time to write and why? It could even be a season if you prefer. I don't have any particular season but I have, do have a favorite time to write and that's about five in the morning. I know it sounds crazy but I'm <laughs> I'm very much a morning person. I mean anything past like eight o'clock and I'm doozy built. Like <laughs> maybe it's a sign of age. I don't know. <laughs> but I also have a family. I have of course a wife and uh Two, two daughters well they're both grade school age once they're up it's just now it's put on the dad hat right so my writing has to go by the side we all know that writing can be somewhat of a lonely business and so i'm just curious to ask mark who is or who are your biggest support or supporters when it comes to your writing my biggest supporters my wife my parents my two sisters, actually. I have a younger sister and older sister. What would you say are the easiest and the hardest parts about self-publishing? I like the control. I like the fact that, see, what happened originally was I, I wrote the book to do a traditional publishing. And I put it to two publishers, like, one at a time. And the one I waited six months and to hear back a rejection. And I'm thinking, well, you know what? I'm not getting any younger here. And I started really researching because I think they called it Vanity Press back then. I started researching it and I started realizing, you know what, I have to deal with my, all of my own, a lot of my own marketing anyways, so that's kind of what I've heard. I really didn't want anybody else to have control of my story and to say, well, no, you can't have this in here and I can't have that. Now, that doesn't mean that I didn't use people to read and give me advice. Well, actually, I actually did write this under novel writing course, so I did at that time have an author, an experienced author, who was overseeing this book. And I did actually at the end have other readers, I think I had about six of them that read the book and gave me, you know, this part's kind of repetitive or what did you mean by this? So by that, I, I was able to give control to other people and I listened to them too. So it wasn't completely just me you know, doing whatever I wanted. It was, it was other people's advice too. I think the hardest part is 
and it's going away is getting over some of the stereotypes of indie authors. Like, there's still somewhat of a mentality up there, well, you're not published by a traditional publisher, that you're not a real writer, but I disagree because I found so much talent from indie writers, I would say to rival and surpass even some of the traditional published authors. I don't mean to be rude, but I've seen some traditional published books and I'm going, what is this thing doing on the shelf? There is some really awesome writers in the writing community, and there's some books and some genres of books that I would have never thought of picking up before being involved with the writing communities of Twitter and Instagram. Fantasy is one of them. I'm not a fantasy person. <laughs> but suddenly I'm reading C.S. Ratliff, and I'm reading Despaña Camarado. I'm, I'm reading all these great authors from the indie community, and it's really just... Oh, it's amazing. Funny you should say that. I just got done. I've always been, um, I've never been a romance genre type of person. And there was an indie author I admire. I admire as a person. She's very supportive in that. And I read her book. I really enjoyed it because she put a really nice twist on the end of it. So, yeah, kudos to her. Would you like to give this author a shout out? Yeah, her name is Yvette M. Calero and the book is Breathless. Are you writing another book now? And if so, what can you share with listeners? I don't have a release date, but... The book, the premise of the book, is not anything to do with human trafficking. It's based on 1890, late 18th, 19th century Klondike Gold Rush. And I'll sort of give you the gist. It's a family where the father, they live in Seattle. The father was originally from Sweden. Now, he has a very dark background in Sweden, which I sort of give hints to in the book, but I don't really reveal the whole thing until basically the end of the book. He has a wife who was Swedish also, but she was raised in Brooklyn, so she's never been to her home country. And he would not discuss anything with his childhood with her and kept all his secrets locked up in this old trunk that he would never let, like a steamer trunk. Because of the experiences in Sweden, you had a really anti-government view. Back in the 1880s, there was actually a giant fire in Seattle, which destroyed most of the downtown. So a lot of my uh, information in the book has been researched and is accurate. And he built a business, a construction business, based on this, based on this fire. So he had two sons. The older boy was burnt. His face was burnt, rescuing the younger one from the fire. And he also had a daughter who was between the two. The first son, he suffered a lot of persecution and isolation because of his injury. It scarred his face. And as a result, became a recluse. The family kind of became divided, whereas the, the women sided with the oldest, the one who had the scarred face. And the father sort of took pity on the younger one because the younger one was getting bullied and blamed for what had happened to the older one. And so when the Klondike hit, his father had it in his head that he was going to, he was already wealthy, but he wanted more. He wanted complete anarchy, like separation from the government. And I won't give too much more because I'll get start giving away spoilers, but they ended up, because they're rich, they could take a water route to the Klondike. So not everybody had to go like horse, dog, and sleigh. Some people could take a ship from Seattle, go up to St. Michael, Alaska, and take a riverboat all the way down to Dawson. I'll say, though, there is involved in this book, there is, of course, greed, there's crime boss, there's murder, there's, it's almost kind of like a mystery action adventure type thriller is what it is. So which would you say was more challenging to write for Vanished? Would you say it was your author bio or your blurb overall? The blurb. I found the blurb the hardest because I, I struggle with it because, I mean, you're taking an entire novel and you're compacting it down to a few paragraphs, but not trying to give spoilers away, but trying to hook a reader. I really wrestled with it, and I uh, got the opinion of a lot of people for this blurb, and based on their opinion, I thought that the blurb I came up with, I thought was the best one to entice people, but not give too much away. You were in the middle of a restoration project when the Writing Wall blog reached out to you for your article. Share with listeners a little bit about that and how it's coming along. 
Well, I got two going. Well, one on the go right now. Uh, the old radio thing I know I'd mentioned. Well, my wife, she loves Pinterest. So she found these, these projects on Pinterest where people take old TV stands and old uh, hutches and they turn them into like coffee bars and into puppet theaters. So my project I'm working on right now actually is, is a puppet theater for kids. So I was given this old TV stand by this couple and I had to reinforce it. But because I'm using water aid based paints and I'm in a cold garage that I can't heat, and you know how winters are, depending on where you live, like how well does water-based paint dry, you know, overnight in a cold garage, so it's been taking me a while. The radio I'm looking forward to, that's going to be a bigger challenge. I've been given a date of around late 1930s to early 40s. It still has all the tubes and everything in the back. It was given to me by a customer at my wife's work. He just wanted to get rid of his, his grad. It's a cross and it's a larger one, like which is quite a famous brand, I guess. But it's not a tabletop one. It sits about four feet high and about maybe two and a half, three feet wide and when I first got it I was afraid to plug it in because I didn't know if the tubes would explode but asked my dad and my dad's very uh, he's a very forward type of fellow he goes oh he says just plug it in it's either going to work or it's not going to work I'm like what about explosion he says it's either going to work or it's not going to work so I'm like okay so I <laughs> I put my safety goggles on and took the old cord and plugged it in and yeah it lit up but it wouldn't get any stations and he goes well it probably just needs an antenna I said well I think it needs more than that <laughs> Maybe somebody to calibrate actual tubes, but I don't know what I'm going to do with that one yet. Like, I need to research it because some of the veneer is coming off, and as you can imagine, trying to get parts for a radio that old is fairly difficult. Like, if I don't get it working as a radio, I may turn it into something else. It's up in the air. I haven't even started that one yet. So, but. What would you say is the best advice you've gotten about the business of writing itself? Somebody who is an entrepreneur, and she's built a business from scratch, and she said it was 80-20. She meant 80% marketing and 20% business. And I started to realize that, you know what, I think she has a point. <laughs> she is definitely, yeah, on the mark for sure. That is some very sound and solid advice. <laughs> and it's so true. It is. It's 80-20. Mark, what would be your advice to give writers who are looking to self-publish this year? My advice is to be a giver. Okay, well, first, my advice is to just start. And I think I put a quote in there that it's much easier to edit a, a page that's full than try to start a blank page. Like just put anything down. What I do is I brainstorm and every little silly idea I type in because some of those silly little ideas, I may not use the whole idea, but I may take bits and pieces of it and it becomes actually part of the story. And what I've learned is, at least for me, is I'll do the whole first draft and then I just go over it and do the second draft. And then I learn from each draft and I, I refine it. Sometimes I think my first book took like five drafts because I'm kind of fussy. <laughs> the second piece of advice I would say is be a giver. Can't stress it enough. Support other authors, get involved in clubs, tweet other authors, read their books, get reviews, because that's how it's a giver's gain, right? 80-20 again, right? 80% giving, 20% taking. That's, that's my advice for new writers, because I think you have to remember, and this is what I think, I don't look at other authors as competition, because there's so many readers, and you can only write so many books. Readers are, you know, they're going to read more than one author, and there's some another author's genre might link them to yours. So it's not competition. We're here to help each other. That's that's my view on it anyways. That is so very true. And it's also how I feel about the writing community. I feel like we are a little community, our own little small town, and we all pitch in and we all need to assist one another when possible and make some great new connections. Speaking of connecting, Mark, can you please share with listeners and followers of the Writing While Blogging podcast how they may follow you? I have a website, markbeerman.com. I have Twitter. I have a blog under WordPress. 
I also am on Facebook and Instagram. Want to follow Mark Beerman on Instagram? Give his profile a look there at Mark underscore Beerman and the number one. Or follow him over on Twitter using the handle at mbeermanauthor. From all of us here at the Writing Wall blog and podcast team, we want to say thank you to Mark Beerman for being our Writer of the Week this week and for also taking part in our podcast interview. Followers and listeners may want to give our next Writer of the Week a look over the weekend before his article drops Monday morning at 8 a.m. on our blog. His name is Matthew Marr. And he's the author of a breakout book titled Irish Town. Our next full-length podcast will take place on Saturday, April the 10th at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, and many other platforms. When I come back, we're going to talk the top YouTube writing video segments, and you're not going to want to miss it. Okay, so all writers can't be on the big screen, but what about the monitor screen? That's right, I'm talking about YouTube writers and the top YouTube writers that are listed by therightlife.com. Recently, my Facebook has been inundated with this. There's some really great YouTube writers in the writing community too. You can go around and check some of those out, like the writing community chat show, JL Rothstein. I'm shamelessly self-promoing before I should. But anyway, you won't be disappointed either with Jenna Morrissey, a sci-fi writer, and her videos are hilarious, no holds barred, and highly entertaining. According to thewritelife.com, it's called 10 Things You Should Never Say to a Writer. There's things you never say. At the same time, I also feel like there's some things you shouldn't say as an author back to the public. This lady is unapologetic. And while I don't endorse some of the language used for this, I mean, she's not lying. She's not lying. <laughs> I've been asked some of these questions myself. It goes from, is your book any good? Why does your book cost so much? She does mention in this video, take a break. You know, if you're not feeling inspired, if you can't get the outline done. And that's true. I mean, if you took a break every single time, you didn't feel good or didn't feel inspired, you'd never get anywhere with your book. But do take a break. If you're feeling burned out, take a break. I'm not telling you to fail. I'm just telling you, take a breather, do something for you, get inspired that way, and go back and sit down and bust your butt and do it again. And then we come to Ellen Brock. She has novel boot camp series on YouTube. Ellen talks about in this particular YouTube video on therightlife.com, characters' goals, and she's got a video for each day of the week, Tuesday through Friday there. And she's just talking about how your character, your MC, can have the best goals and how it works best in novel. They range from how to create a strong goal for your novel's main character, how to write a main character who drives the plot, to how to write a character flaw. So if you're looking for any of those things, check out Ellen Brock on YouTube. For the screenwriters of the writing community or those who are aspiring to be screenwriters and want to be Emmy Award winners, that kind of thing, the screenwriting guru and story doctor Robert McKee has a video on YouTube and probably a series of videos. One of them is titled, Bad Writers Have Nothing to Say. TheWriteLife.com encourages you to not just visit the YouTube channel, but to browse the plethora of great videos featuring him for most of his wisdom. It's a good example of constructive criticism being given to other writers by a real pro. All right, get ready for this one. This guy, Mark Dawson, is a USA Today bestselling author with more than 20 books published. Dawson offers a unique behind-the-scenes look at what it takes to be self-published. His partner, James Blanche, is also on these YouTube videos. This YouTube video in particular was titled The 7 P's for Publishing Success, The Self-Publishing Show, episode number 187. This show goes into detail with those 7 P's of publishing success, one of them being 
practice, you know, get your butt in the chair, do the work, make a routine of it, make it a habit every day. But then later on down the pipeline, the individual that's speaking to them, the guest of the show, also mentions traditional publishing and its downward spiral. Because it used to be that traditional publishers would give authors at least three shots, three manuscripts, three books in order to see if they were going to make or break. And lately, and as early as 2019, they're not even doing that. Some of them are just letting authors do a one and done. Another fun author writer to watch is actually a high school English and journalism teacher. Her name is Kim Chance and you can find her on YouTube by searching using dual slash multi POV in your novel. Interview with Toby Easton. Toby spelled T-O-B-I-E. So that's a fun video too. I did watch that. Talks about multiple points of view in your novel, how best to use them. This lady does produce some interesting instructional videos. I clipped through a few. So you can find her, Kim Chan, on YouTube talking about multiple POV. Last but not least, because I know that some of you guys and gals out there love to laugh and you love to add a little laughter into your books, especially supporting characters that can be comedic relief, check out J.P. Bobeans on YouTube. His video is called Comic Relief Characters. TheWriteLife.com says J.P. Bobeans is a member of Knoxville's Writers Guild and author of the time travel fiction series Ion Legion. This is a cute little video. It's very punchy. It's very sarcastic. You're gonna like it. It's creative. He covers topics like character development and post-apocalyptic plots and everything in between. Again, the video is called Comic Relief Characters because every now and then it's a great thing if a book makes you smile. That's it for me for the top 16 rightlife.com videos. Do check them out and check out the whole list by going to their website, therightlife.com forward slash YouTube dash channels dash four dash writers forward slash. When we come back, we're going to do the one thing everyone's been looking forward to. That's right. Shameless self-promo Saturday shout outs. So stick around. The Writing Wall podcast proudly presents Philip Raymond Brown as host April the 10th at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Philip is the author of It Gives You Strength, a sci-fi historical fiction mashup that you'll definitely want to check out before this interview happens. Because we all have a story to share, Philip Raymond Brown and the writing community are going to get to hear mine. So tune in on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and many other platforms. Wasn't that a great interview with Mark Bierman? You want to hear more or learn more about Mark? Visit our blog and check out his links there and grab his book, Vanished, on Amazon. Now I'm going to dive in and give another fellow indie writer to the north, Brian Quinn, a big shout out for his second book, No Good Deed Goes Unpunished. It's a noir psychological suspense thriller. Brian is also well known for his other book, The Package, and it has gotten multiple five-star reviews. I even picked up The Package and reviewed it here on the Writing Wall podcast in season one. But his second book is about this. Sometimes a good deed is best left undone. Nelson McCormick, New York City's richest man, is going to learn this simple lesson the hard way. Nelson is a man on top of the world, but his fortune takes a turn for the worst. The fearful night, he returns a Mafia Don's lost wallet. A good deed that will not go unpunished. Congratulations on your second publication, Brian. I'm looking forward to reading No Good Deed, and I hope you will too. Give Brian a look on Twitter at Brian. Brian spelt with a Y. 
and follow him there. And it's on to the next, as Jason Hawes from Ghost Hunters would say. Anyone else a fan of that show too? Tweet me if you are. For Position Only by Adele Royce. This is a sequel to Camera Ready, an evocative tale of one man's sin and redemption woven into the fabric of the advertising business where lives run rampant and the truth is manipulated. Sounds like one great madman read. Follow Adele Royce on Twitter at Adele underscore Royce and you can also visit her website at AdeleRoyce.com. Her book is available on Amazon.com. From reptiles and renegades to outlaws and origins, I'm talking Eric S. Kim. That's right, he's on Twitter and you can follow him at SoCal underscore chemistry. Eric is an urban fantasy writer and he's also a soon-to-be science fiction writer. He's a man who also loves dragons, classical music, and Southern California. Give him a look on Twitter and find his books on Amazon.com today. And now for the poetry lover in all of us, I'm going to talk about Shorties for the Soul. And you can follow her at Shorties for the one, number one, at the end of that. Short poems to nourish your spirit. Her author name, though, is Amanda Lucinda. And you can find her book, Crying in Color, a poetry chapbook in paperback and Kindle format today on Amazon.com. In a distant future, a world divided, a walled city in a devastated wasteland. A struggle for power becomes a struggle to survive. With friends like these, who needs enemies? I'm talking PJ Sky on Twitter at PJSky2001 is how you can find them. And A Girl Called Ari, The Adventures of Ari Book 1 is available now, but very soon. And you can pre-order Ari Goes to War Book 2. Grab yourself a copy from this author, musician, writer of dystopia and post-apocalyptic fiction. You can also visit PJ Sky on our website, pjsky.wordpress.com. Anyone who knows me knows I love a good Southern or good Appalachian tale. And I love listening to them too. So if you've not checked out Old Gods of Appalachia podcast, do that. If you enjoy things like that, you're going to love Old Gods of Appalachia. But this gentleman also posted to our page. His name is John Ryland, at John Ryland 10, the number 10. You can find his book, Southern Gothic, on audible.com. This audible book is narrated by Shane Carey. It's five hours and 44 minutes and a dark collection of tales from the American South full of twists and turns that you will never see coming. From straight up classic Southern Gothic to a dystopian tale of mechanical peacekeepers, there is something for everyone who enjoys solid storytelling and original concepts. Whew, this thing is on my to be read. Thank you so much, John Ryland, for bringing it to our attention. Maybe, just maybe we can get you to come on to season three. That's it for me this Shameless Self-Promo Saturday. Thank you so much to all the authors and writers, poets, storytellers out there who share their stories with us. We hope you found a new favorite read or can add something to your to-be-read list this Shameless Self-Promo Saturday. We'll be back Saturday, April the 10th with a brand new episode of the Writing Wall podcast at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Oh, but the April 10th episode is going to be so different because we have a special guest host. Join me and author Philip Raymond Brown of It Gives You Strength as he takes over as Writing Wall host. Because we all have a story, we want to hear yours. What is your story? (laughs) 
Anytime I purchase a book, I always review, and if I really enjoy reading your work, rest assured it may be shared here on this podcast with my listeners and followers. Of course, I will do so with permission from the author or authors first. Please like, follow, and share this information with other writers, and if you ever need a writer's lift, visit me on social media. Thank you all again for being here for this podcast. I look forward to hearing from you and learning more about the stories you weave.